So not too long ago, my wife and I decided to update our life insurance. Uh, you know, since the world's coming to an end and everything, might as well get our life insurance up to date. Um, I didn't realize this, but um, when you do that, they actually will send like a nurse to your house to like check your blood pressure and, and assess your health. And uh, so, so this, this, this nurse came to our house. Uh, into our home and uh, took our blood pressure. And I didn't realize this, but they actually draw your blood. Um, and I, I'm not, I don't like, I'm not like scared of needles. I just don't like them. Anybody with me on that? Yeah, I, okay, I'm scared. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I'm terrified is actually the term. But. So, this, so this, this, this nice lady comes over and, uh, you know, God brought this woman into our house. Okay, and so as a Christian home, what, what, what you do then is you share the gospel because that's what Christians do. Christians share the gospel. And so this woman came over, so we said, we got we to gotta find out if this woman knows Jesus or not. So we're having these conversations with her. Come to find out, she said, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. She told us all the amazing things that Jesus has done for her. And we're thinking, this is great. And so um, she wraps up. My wife went first, my, you know, wraps up and puts a Band-Aid over where she drew some blood. And, and I sit down and hold up my arm. And I'm one of those people, like, I can't watch the needle go in. My wife has to stare at it. I can't. I can't who's, who does not? I, I just, you don't watch it go in. Anybody? Is anybody like my wife? You just, you got you to gotta watch it? Yeah, okay. It's, yeah, interesting. So I'm not like looking at it, and I don't want to talk. I don't want to have a conversation. Like, this is just torture for me. And she's just trying to have chatted up, and so she's like, um, you know, we're finding out we're Christian. You know, we're Christian home. And she said, oh, where do you go to church? And I said, oh, well, actually, I'm the pastor. I'm one of the, one of the pastors at my church. She's like, oh, that's great. Tell me about it. I said, yeah, you know, Peace Church. I said, we're in Middleville, and between Middleville and Caledonia, and I talked about how wonderful of a church you all are, and how blessed I am to serve, and and then she asks this question. And mind you, I have a needle in my arm. <laughs> she says, what does your church believe about the Old Testament? I thought it was kind of an odd question coming from a self-proclaimed Christian. But I said, well, we believe it's, it's God's word. And she goes, yeah, no, no, I just, I just don't believe that. Whoa. So the, I just, I, I'm sorry, I, I read the Old Testament. She goes, I see, I see the Old Testament, and I see a God who is just mean, and I could never believe in a God who is so fickle that he would say he's jealous. It's like the God of the Old Testament, he's too mean. She said, but Jesus, and what I see in the Old Testament, she says, that, that, that I can follow. There's a needle in my arm. <laughs> so don't judge me on what's about to happen. Okay? Like, I'm sitting there. And I'm like, well, yeah, yep, to each his own. Please don't hurt me. <laughs> I'm thinking at any moment she's going to take that needle and just go, you know. And so she wraps up and, you know, my wife, my, my amazing wife, Tiffany, um, she, she's not scared of anything. And I'm thinking this is so awkward. I just want to get out of this situation. I don't even care. It's my house. I just want to leave. This is just too awkward. And my wife, like, where I want to leave, my wife wants to step, to step up to bat. 
And she's like, why do you, why do you think it's they're, they're, that the Old Testament God is not really God? And then she says these infamous words. Well, I watched this guy on YouTube. <laughs> now, okay, now, hear me. There are some amazing preachers of the gospel on YouTube. And there are some demonic false teachers on YouTube. You have to be so discerning, right? So she says this, and I, and I get flat, you know, obviously flags start raising, and she starts saying, you know, about this teacher. And then my wife just can't, can't um, help herself. She's got she's to enter this conversation. And she said, you know, she goes on to talk about this woman. She asks, what, what exactly do you not like? You know, and anytime someone says that the God of the Old Testament is mean and the God of the New Testament is nice, typically that means they don't read the Old Testament. Typically that means they follow a cultural understanding of what people say the Old Testament's like. And I'm not saying there aren't some hard stories we got to reconcile with in the Old Testament, but to, to say that the Old Testament God is mean and the Old Te New Testament God is nice, that's just a false dichotomy. So my strong and powerful wife steps up to bat and she starts having a conversation with this woman. Come to find out, really, it goes down to this idea of like jealousy. So my wife explains to her how the jealousy of God is, is, a, is a holy response to the pure love that he has for his people when they turn away from him. Like, who wouldn't want a God that wants us? Don't you want to believe in a God who wants you? The God of heaven and earth, he wants us. And, and, and when we turn away from him, he pursues us. Isn't that the type of God that you want? Like when you turn to sin, don't you want a God who's going to come and save you from that? Like when we do that, when we, when we give our hearts to things of this world and to sin and God comes after us, that's God being jealous for us. You know, my wife doubles down and goes on to talk about how Jesus Christ himself affirmed the God of the Old Testament. He prayed to the God of the Old Testament. He preached from the Old Testament. He talked about how the Old Testament was God's word. We went on to share that, how the Old Testament, there's light there, but there's also shadow. And the shadows of the Old Testament are brought to light in the New Testament. Not two different things, but a fuller sense is being brought out in the New Testament. And the whole time I'm sitting there nursing my wound, watching my wife, I'm thinking, Maybe, maybe my wife should be the lead pastor. Like, <laughs> you know, then we, we wrap, you know, my, my wife just totally took lead on that conversation and uh, wrapped up on a very positive note. Um, and the woman said, uh, well, you've given me some things to think about. And uh, we said, you know, we, we continue to cover her in prayer. But this is such a common fallacy that the God of the Old Testament seems so different from the God of the New Testament, that, that Yahweh is mean, but Jesus is nice. I hope that our passage today puts this to rest. If you're just joining us, we are in week five of seven of, an, of a sermon series on an Old Testament book called Hosea. And today we're going to walk through chapter 11 together. And I'm just going to ask you, church, uh, whether you're a, a, a family of Peace Church or you're just a friend joining us, would you please have a Bible open today? I really want to walk through this passage, this chapter with you, because it's very, very profound. As you're turning there, let me just uh, bring us up to speed on a few things. See, the, 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 the story of Hosea 
is dominated by what is unveiled in the first three chapters, although Hosea is 14 chapters long. See, the first three chapters are, are telling this dramatic story about how God calls this prophet Hosea to go and marry a prostitute. If you're with us, what was her name? Gomer. God calls Hosea to go marry the prostitute Gomer. And this is to be a real-life demonstration that even though God's people prostitute ourselves away, that we give our hearts to the world, that God's still going to chase us, that God chooses us. Even though we don't choose him, God chooses us and pursues us. And this idea of like being prostituted, that us being prostitutes, that, that means like we have assimilated to the culture. We've diminished God's truth to embrace a, a relative truth that's out there. And that we're no longer worshiping God, but we're worshiping a God made in our own image. And this dramatic, just dramatic marriage narrative uh, ends in chapter 3. In, in chapter 3, we see that Gomer, she actually leaves her family. She goes back to her life of prostitution. And God sends Hosea yet again to go and redeem his wife and to save her from the life she's chosen. This is a beautiful picture of what God does for us when we turn our back on him. But that's just the first three chapters. Chapters 4 to 14 continue to tell the story of God's pursuit for his people, even in the midst of our pursuit of our own sin. And so would you listen here? As I read chapter 11, hopefully you're following along in the Bible in front of you. Listen to how God speaks about his wayward people. Would you hear the word of the Lord Hosea chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How could I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and we'll continue. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, 
We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for those who you've called to be your own. We thank you for who you are, for who you've revealed yourself to be. And I would pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to remind us yet again of the great love that you have for us in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. So as we get going this morning, as we walk through this passage, I want you to see three things. That our God is a gentle father, he's a just ruler, and he's a jealous God. He's a gentle father, a just ruler, and he's a jealous God. So first thing, our God is a gentle father. Our passage starts out, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So let's talk about gentleness for just a moment. A man who is cool, calm, and collected is called a gentleman, a gentle man. A man can only said to be gentle if he is also strong. A weak man is not gentle. A weak man is just soft. There's a reason we don't call pillows gentle. Pillows are just soft. A strong man, though, a strong man that can control his strength in a way that communicates love and care, that's gentle. That's gentleness. That's godly. And we say things are godly because they are like God. And God is our gentle father because he is all-powerful. He is all-powerful, yet he is so gentle with us. Men, you have to be gentle with your kids and with your grandkids. Not soft, not passive. You love them with a strength, but a strength under control that communicates love and care. That's gentleness. See, in the first three chapters of Hosea, we see, we see that God is our passionate husband. But in these la- later chapters, we're going to see God is our gentle father who calls out to us. And his call is both caring and commanding. Just as we call out to our children, God calls out to us. God called his people out of Egypt. This is the Exodus. This is the great salvation act of the Old Testament that God's people were in bondage in in Egypt. They were slaves. And God saved them. He called them out. He called out Israel, his people. He called them out of bondage. Because he calls them. And verse 2 says, The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. The more they were called, the more they went away. I had this really dumb dog this one time. His name was Marley. We doomed him from the start, but... Every time we would take this dog off his leash, do you know what this dumb dog would do? He would bolt. I mean, he would run. And I would call to him, Marley, get back here! And you know what this dumb dog would do? He would get like 30, 40 yards away from me. He would stop when I called. Okay, he would stop, turn around with a stupid smile on his face, wagging that dumb tongue of his, And I swear to you, he was just letting me know, yeah, I heard you. And do you know what he would do? Turn around and keep running. And I'm like, hey, dog, the road's that way. Why don't you run that way for a little while? (laughs) And then there came this moment 
right, where God was like, I gave you that dog to show you something about you. That is you. The more I call you, the more you run away. And you show up on Sunday just to let me know that you hear me. But then Monday through Saturday, you run from me. See, the first verse of chapter 11, we see the heart of God. In verse 2, we see the heart of people. That we are bent away from God. That has to be God. Salvation belongs to the Lord and him alone. The people of Israel, it says they, they kept worshiping the Baals. Now that's plural. We talked about Baal a few weeks ago. Baal was the name of the pagan god in the surrounding cultures. But the reason that God says Baal's plural is because these, the different cultures around Israel, they would worship Baal, but in different forms with different emphasis. So they would worship Baal and they'd continue to burn offerings to these idols, these little figurines that did nothing. And they would give their hearts to these, thing, to these things. They kept worshiping other and sacrificing other to other things than God. And we think, you know, I think oftentimes we look at the Old Testament, we see these ancient cultures, and we think, so different. It was so different back then. But I'm here to tell you, the heart of people is the same. It is not so different. It is almost the exact same. Because here's the question. They sacrifice to foreign gods. What do we sacrifice for? Yeah, yes, of course. Back then, they would actually sacrifice live animals and, and bulls and animals. But don't think we don't sacrifice as well. What do you give your time, money, and talent to, to the point that it hurts? I'm not saying you enjoy doing it, but what do you give your time, money, and talent to, to the point that it hurts? That's what you're sacrificing for. Is it to God? Is it to the advancement of his kingdom or to the building of your own wealth? What do you sacrifice for? If it's not to God, then you are no different than ancient Israel. And our gentle Father is calling us to something better. Do you hear the call? My prayer is right now that the Holy Spirit is awakening your heart to hear the call of God. Verse 3 says, God says, Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I bent down to them and fed them. So Ephraim... You'll see this term in the Old Testament. Ephraim was the largest tribe within Israel. Ephraim came to be sort of a nickname to describe all of Israel. So those are one and the same. But we see here in a spiritual sense that our gentle father teaches us to walk, that God, the creator of heavens and earth, that he bends down to us to feed us. Why? Because he is a gentle father. So no. The God of the Old Testament is not a mean God who can't stand his people. We see the heart of God who loves and cares for his people in a gentle way. He's a gentle father, but we also have to understand that he is a just ruler. He rules and he upholds justice. He is a just ruler. Church, we live in such divided times. I mean, Pastor Travis prayed about it. What's going on over in Ukraine? I mean, gas prices are just crazy. We're looking at midterm elections that could be just as divisive as as the last elections. I mean, we live in such divided times. What, What is there that can unify us? Well, I know something that can unify us. I know something that does unify us. And it's our common annoyance 
of parents who can't see the fault in their own kids. Whether it's the Dursleys from Harry Potter or all those parents from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, parents who don't acknowledge their own kids' bad behavior are often portrayed as the villains. Why? Because we can't stand those parents. And while God is a doting and gentle father in raising his people, he is not oblivious to their sins, nor will he give them a pass. God sees the sins of his people and he will hold those sins to account. And this is where we all start to tremble. God saw Israel. He saw them turning away from him. He saw them worshiping foreign gods. He saw them assimilating into the culture around them. And God sees this sin and he will see it punished. For Israel, this came in the form of domination and exile. Verse 5. God says, they shall not return to the land of Egypt. He's not going to send them back to slavery and bondage in Egypt. But he does say, but Assyria shall be their king because they have, re- uh, they have refused to return to me. So at this point in human history, this is about 720 BC. At this moment in history, the world's superpower was the nation of Assyria. And God is going to allow Assyria to come in and to, des- to destroy Israel and send their people into exile. This, this is a threat we just can't even begin to understand because we live in the most powerful nation of all time. And the idea of, of another, another nation coming in to decimate us and bringing us and our children into exile, we, just, we can't engage that level of fear or what that would mean. But the problem is, is that the, the people, they would not return to God. God calls to them, they would not return to God And rather than pursue God, they chose to pursue the world. And so God says, if the world is what you want, then the world is what you shall have. This is a call and a warning to all of us. Be careful what you want more than God, because you just might get it. Verse 6, and this is is an underlined worthy verse God says in verse 6 that Assyria would devour them because of their own counsels. Okay, so what's going on here? This shows us that the people were listening to themselves rather than God. In our day and age, this is what it means. That we follow what's popular on social media. We follow what's trending on Twitter. We are embracing what's celebrated in Hollywood and what's accepted in our society. We listen to ourselves because we're the smartest, progressive, most enlightened society of all time. Who else would we listen to? This is a dangerous place. God's going to allow Assyria to come in and devour them because of their own counsels. We do the same thing that ancient Israel did. And it took Assyria coming in to dominate them, to decimate them, to drag them and their children off uh, off to exile. It took that to happen for them to see the horror of their own choices before they'd even consider returning to God. And how many of us, how many of us, we only call out to God when we are in trouble or when we need something? And then once we get it, we stop calling out to God. This is exactly what Israel was doing. They saw threat and they saw domination, so they called out to God then. But they weren't calling out to God. They were just calling out to let this not happen to them. God says, my people are bent. They're crooked 
They're bent away. They're bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, God says, I will not raise them up because they're not really calling out to me. They're just calling out to get out of their situation. And while God is a gentle father, we see that he's a just ruler. He will uphold justice and sins will be punished. He will uphold justice. He will not let sin go unpunished. And so here's a question I have for you. I get theological questions all the time. So let me turn around and ask you guys one for a moment. If God is a gentle father, but he's also a just ruler, what does this mean for God's love towards his people? He's a gentle father, just ruler. How would you explain his love towards people then? Here's how I would say it, see it. We look to the fact that he is a jealous God. That our God is a jealous God. So this term, a jealous God, is a biblical term. We find it in Exodus, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Nahum. It's alluded to in Isaiah. But the term itself is not actually found in Hosea. But I think the picture of God being a jealous God is no more clear than what we see in this book. That God doesn't just love us. He is jealous for us. He's not jealous of us. He's jealous for us. God's jealousy is not like your jealousy or my jealousy, where we wish something was ours that's not ours, or a jealousy that springs from insecurity. That's human jealousy. When God is jealous for us, this means that our hearts rightfully, originally belong to him. And when we take that away from him and we give our hearts to idolatry and to things of this world— Well, then like a loving husband who is jealous for his wife's heart, God will go after us because he's jealous for us. Yes, God will allow their kingdom to be brought down. Their kingdom of idolatry, he will let it be brought down. And yes, he's grieved over their sin. Listen to the language here of God speaking to his people. Look at verse 8. He says, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma?" How can I treat you like Zeboim? So Adma and Zeboim, these were, these were two ancient cities. And they were, they were two smaller cities next to two larger cities. And I'm, I think you've probably heard of these two larger cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. And God utterly destroys Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sexual depravity and sexual abuse. And when God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, it's a total destruction. Not just were those cities destroyed, but the surrounding communities were also destroyed, including Adma and Zeboim, two cities basically erased from history. Adma and Zeboim came to be synonymous with utter and complete, total destruction. And God is saying, how could I bring you to total destruction? I don't want to wipe you from the pages of history. God doesn't want to see his people completely destroyed. He goes on to say, My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. Verse 9 says, I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man. I am the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. I just told you some of the most peaceful amazing words you will ever hear. That your sins deserve God's wrath. Your sins deserve death. And yet God will not act that upon you. 
for those who are in him. God is saying that while their sins deserve his wrath, while their sins deserve death, he will still show them, yes, justice, but also mercy. And in this, man, I just, as I'm reading through this and I'm praying for my church and I'm thinking about this myself, I just, I'm, I'm coming to see like myself and I think it in the world that far too many people fail to realize the extent of their sin. Because we look to the world to justify our sin and it will do it. The world will justify and sanctify your sin. But we need to look through God's eyes. And in this series, God has been exposing us in our sinfulness as prostitution. God is saying that we are prostitutes if we give our hearts to things that don't love us back. God calls us prostitutes. We've been talking about that through this entire sermon series. But I think some of you, it just, you just heard that and it went out the other ear. And it's like, this is how God sees you in your sin. You're a prostitute. But we hear that, and you know what we think? I gotta get home for lunch. We hear that and we think, I gotta get home in time for the game. Are you grieved over how grievously God sees your sin? We need to be, because when we are truly confronted with our sin and we see the evil that it is in God's eyes, this should lead us to repentance. Our hearts should recoil within us. And lead us to repentance, which is a true returning to the God who is yet still calling to us. God calls his people, return to me. In verse 10 and 11, God says he calls to us like a lion. And when he does this, his children will come home. Now, whether this is a future prophetic call for, for, the, for the Jewish people to return to the Holy Land or a more spiritual call in the sense that God's people will return to our, etern- the God's people will return to our eternal home, either way, the point is this. There is always hope for those who put their faith in God. There is always hope for those who put your faith in God. If you're looking at the, if you're being confronted with the, with the absolute evil and ugliness of your sin, There is always hope for those who put their faith in God. And the chapter ends with God acknowledging the state of his children. Uh, In verse 12, actually verse 12 is the last verse of chapter 11 in the Western Bible. In the Hebrew scriptures, verse 12 is actually the first verse of chapter 12. But verse 12 says, Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel. Remember, Ephraim and Israel, basically the same thing. The house of Israel with deceit. God is speaking to the northern kingdom because remember, God's people are split between the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom at this point. So the northern kingdom is lies and deceit, which is why they're going to be brought to judgment. But Judah, the southern kingdom, still walks with God. It's a rocky road, but they still walk with God and they're faithful to him. Commentator, uh, theologian Richard Phillips says that Hosea chapter 11 is a little-known Old Testament gem. So if someone ever says to you that the God of the Old Testament is mean and the God of the New Testament is nice, I want you to point them to Hosea chapter 11. Hosea chapter 11. Say it with me. Hosea chapter 11. And so let me leave you with this. The love God spoke about through Hosea is fully shown in Jesus Christ. The love God spoke about through Hosea is fully shown in Jesus Christ. I'll be honest with you. Like I thought really long and really hard about with this passage, like what's a really good challenge I could bring to Peace Church that would just call us to go out and do something great for God in response to this? Like what's a really thick in your face challenge? What's an action item? 
If you know Peace Church, we're not afraid to lay those down every now and again. But I really felt like the Holy Spirit was just saying to me this time, simply remind them again of God's love through Jesus. Your action item is to walk out and be reminded of the great love that God has for you in Jesus Christ. With all the uncertainty in the world, I want you to walk out with a certainty that there is love for you from God through Jesus. Jesus Christ. You know, when he was born, did you know that Hosea chapter 11 was actually quoted? Matthew chapter 2. And Joseph rose and took the child, Jesus, and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And they remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of every good prophecy, and Hosea is no exception. Hosea chapter 11 is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible on God's pure love for us. So of course this chapter would be quoted when Jesus was born. The kingdom of Israel should have faced death for their sin, but instead they only got exile. But Jesus Christ did face death for our sins, not for his sins. He faced this death on the cross where he died the death that we should have died in our place for our sins. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. Jesus faced the death that should have been ours. He also faced the exile that should have been ours because as Israel faced exile from God, so did Jesus as God the Father turned his face away from Jesus as he hung there on the cross so that Jesus could experience the full wrath of God for our sins. And God says that through his mighty roar will he call people home. And it's only through Jesus, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah, that people will hear the call to return to heaven, to their eternal home. So do not be embarrassed about the God of the Old Testament. This is the God of Christ. This is the picture of pure and everlasting love. This is our God. This is a love that it was shown so brilliantly to Israel, but so eternally through Jesus. And our God has been so, so good to us. Even when we didn't deserve it. He is our gentle father. He's our just ruler. He's our jealous God. This is the gospel according to Hosea. That the love spoken through the prophet is fully shown through Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's pray together. As you stand, I want you to bow your, eyes, or bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to think for a moment. In this moment, do you see and realize not just the extent of your sin, but how God's love is even more? That Jesus has taken what should have been ours. On the cross, he took the sin that should have been laid on us. God laid it on him. Would you again embrace the love that God has for you in Jesus? Would you be reminded from the Old Testament to the New of God's great love for us in Jesus? Church, let's pray together. Father, I would pray here and now that you would send your Holy Spirit to be powerfully present with us, reminding us again of the great love that you have for us. Father, as we look at Hosea chapter 11, Father, let us be reminded that love can be known. 
Father, that you have love for us, that even though we are wayward, bent away, crooked people, Lord, you call us back to yourself. You straighten us to paths of righteousness through your Son. Father, I pray here and now, Lord, that we sing of your praises. We sing as a people who are reminded yet again of the great love that you have for us. And Lord, you are good. You are so good to us. We pray this in your name. And everyone said, amen.